Welcome to episode 13 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hey, how's it going? On this show, we have a guest with us, Eric Woodward, who is co-founder of Mail.com, founder of MyInternet.com, founder of Nambu.com, and also founder of Trim, a URL shortening service. Uh, welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, nice to be here. Okay, so Eric, uh, you know, why don't we why don't we just kind of start from the, what's going on in the news, and then we can go maybe a little more uh, into your background. But let's just kind of start from what people are reading about on TechCrunch and stuff. So, you know, you you founded or co-founded Trim, is that right? Yeah, Trim was part of a of a of the NAMBU NAM network, which we co-founded. I co-founded with one other person last summer, and we started off developing a, a Twitter client for OS X and an iPhone client. Uh, for Twitter and FriendFeed, and uh, Trim was a part of that because we wanted to control the user experience within the client. Right. And at the time, a lot of the a lot of the URL shorteners didn't have a very extensive API to integrate in the way we wanted to and intended to. And so we felt we had to move forward and create Trim. And if we're going to create a URL shortener service, we may as well create a good one. And so right. that's where that's where Trim came from. So it was one of these sort of it, it turned out to be one of these sort of extensions to your product that it rolled out to be sort of its own thing. Yeah, we were sort of heading down the same road that uh, sort of TweetDeck and Bitly have found themselves in at the moment, since they have the, the same core investor or investor group. Right. Uh, where you know there does make some sense to integrate some of the, the core services of Twitter directly into your Twitter client if you have some some larger ambitions for the service. So, and is, so we decided early on that we wanted to wanted to control that aspect since there there really was no viable alternative to integrate at that time. So uh, Bitly had something to do has some relationship with uh, TweetDeck, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, the uh, the main person that uh, sort of is the public face. I mean, Bitly has a lot of investors now, but uh, the, the sort of the public face behind the service is the same is the same individual that. Uh, Coordinated or is part of the investment group for TweetDeck that that five hundred thousand dollar round that they announced uh, a while ago. So the whole TweetDeck and Bitly group investor group, I mean, so they got some pretty connected people. Is that kind of why? Um, well, they also were the main the main group. Or, I mean, I'm not sure who's exactly you know who owns what or whatever, but they're the same the same uh, leadership group behind Samize as well, which was then sold into Twitter last last year or the year before. I think it's last year. And, what did uh, what did Surmise do? Well, Surmise was Twitter Search before Twitter Search was Twitter Search. Ah, right. Okay. Twitter okay. Search was actually developed by by outside of Twitter, which was then integrated in, into Twitter. They acquired it. Right. Yeah, and that was that wasn't that long ago, right? That was like three or six months ago or something. Oh, it's been a little bit further back than that. But yeah, it was wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Okay, maybe it's just when I read about it. Eric, I know that you've um, started a few businesses in the past, and you've had some pretty good exits from those businesses. I think uh, at least three that I know of. Um, and Nambu and, and Trim seem like uh, smaller opportunities compared to your previous exits. And I was just wondering what, you, what you're thinking behind, you know, why, why did you get into that space in the first place, the, the Nambu and the Trim space? Yeah, we got into Nambu just because uh, we thought it would be fun. I mean, it was really, it really was about that. It was, uh, it was a passion for, for the, uh, the microblogging uh, space as Twitter was defining it at that time. It was, uh, it was very interesting, and we hadn't, I hadn't seen anything quite like that in a while. Uh, something as new and interesting, and the way people were gravitating towards it, uh, you know, for quite some time. So, 
it was interesting to to try to you know layer something on top of that. And when we went around and we we're trying to use Twitter, we just you know the, the experience wasn't very good using their website. The experience wasn't very good using uh, using TweetDeck, for example. The the Air client is just pretty painful. And so we thought, well, there's why not develop our own? And so we we headed down that path. Well, let me ask you a question real quick about that. So sure. when you started writing uh, the the Twitter client, is that Twitter client actually called Nambu or is it called something else? The Twitter client is called Nambu. Yeah, and we had a okay. it's called Nambu, and we had released our iPhone client in January. Okay. On January second, it was a combined iPhone, uh, Twitter friend feed client. And okay. And the OS ten client came out in March of this year. Now, were you, is this something that you were selling for, uh, or is it was it free? It was a free. It was a free download. So we were we were not going to be. The business plan was similar to something like what TweakTech is doing, which is you give away the software for free, and then use Twitter to leverage into uh, something else. It seems to me that I, I mean I'm not an expert on Mac software, but it seems to me from what I've noticed is that people who use Macs tend to be more and more willing to actually purchase software if it's high quality than say on Windows or something. Like Windows users. It seems to me it's it's harder to sell them software because they're just they'll search around they find something that's free. Whereas I just see people, you know, I remember people buying stuff like was it like new was it News Gator or News Monster or something like Net Newswire, which was like a Mac RSS reader. People would actually buy that as mm -hmm. opposed to say using some web, you know, um, news reader. And I'm just wondering, I mean, what are your thoughts on creating software for the Mac and being able, be able to sell that? You know, I, I mean, obviously since you were going along the lines of Nambu, I mean, what what was your thought process? Yeah, the thought process that, that we both had, because it was co-founded by uh, me and myself and another individual, we, our thought process was that that's just not a very interesting business. To develop a, you know, a, a small a messaging piece of software and try to sell that for some nominal amount of money, just not very interesting. I mean, you could, you could probably build an organic small business out of that, but you were shooting for something a little, more, a little bigger, a little more interesting. Is that That's of... correct. Okay. It was the exit via Twitter, basically, was the idea. Uh, what do you mean the exit via Twitter? Like, like, is, is the idea of of um, were you aiming for like Twitter to buy it or Twitter to invest or? No, we had no illusions that that Twitter would ever be start would start purchasing their their own ecosystem. That just doesn't make any sense for them to do that. So we had no in, we had no illusions that that was ever a possibility. Oh, okay. So then I don't think I understand what the what the the your potential business model was then. Sorry, if you could well, just it's a bit more. That. It's a bit more classic 2.0, right? So if we if we have a relatively low cost base and we can we can acquire users using the Nambu software to access Twitter at the time friend feed, which obviously we won't bother with now, and Facebook, uh, you know, there there is an opportunity to layer in other services in with that. And if you if you hit a certain volume of users, if it starts to you know get 100,000 plus. There's there's significant opportunities there that don't exist if you are selling it for five dollars and have ten thousand users. Like what? So, what, what so kind of are thing? you talking about when you say services? You mean advertising, or is there something else? Well, there's there's all kinds of other opportunities that you can you can start to explore once you once you hit that volume. And uh, you know, we had some ideas around search, for example. That can you uh, can you can you elaborate on what some of the, what I mean? I don't. I still prefer I still prefer not to. I mean, we are. Still, still developing the Nambu software, and we're still working on that. So I really would prefer not to not to talk about it too much. But the idea wasn't to try to, you know, pursue what Tweety has done, for example, which is a single developer who can 
make a very nice living with a great piece of software, selling it for you know ten bucks or fifteen dollars or something like that. I see. That's not right. something that we were interested in doing. Yeah, because you, you you said you've had a couple of nice exits, so you're not wor- you're not worried about just ma- replacing your day job with some an income from a small piece of software. You're like, all right, let's let's hit something out of the park. Let's do something really big. Yeah, I mean, we know you know it's not hit something out of the park. Is so it's all compared to what, but uh, it still is a it's a Twitter client business, and it's undefined as, as how big it can grow. But we were thinking a bit more horizontally, so we would leverage Twitter, uh, inquiring users to access Twitter, and then and then Facebook released their API that became more of a possibility, and leverage that horizontally to something else. So, like for example, Bitly, uh, Bitly and TweetDeck are co-branding TweetDeck. They're releasing customized versions of TweetDeck, or they're charging, you know, web services to become integrated into their platform, or things like that. That's a lot more interesting than than trying to you know convince. Soccer mom to pay you five dollars for your piece of software. You you were mentioning that um, in building Nambu, the Mac the Mac client, that you had a team of five developers and you've had some interesting experiences with that. Can you tell us a bit. Yeah, about we had that? some initial problems. So some of the problems, some of the reasons that Nambu took so long and and this hasn't updated in a while is we had to transition away from our initial development team. So again, we weren't an individual developer sitting down to you know you know train himself on OS ten writing a Twitter client or something like that. We contracted or assembled a a team in China and uh, which was relatively lower cost and and started to have them coordinate with us in, in filling in some of the some of the more technical aspects of the development and so we had five we, we assembled and trained and and brought together a team of five people in uh, with a, with a small group that we that we liked very much in China now were they all separate people that you found individually or were they, were they a team? Uh, there were a team that, that were working in um, in a different area, and they wanted to transition into. They were working on Rails development, which is how we knew them, and they wanted to transition okay. into desktop development. And we thought it was a great opportunity to work together on something like that. So, how come you you stopped working with them? I mean, is there any any lessons to be learned from that experience? Or yeah, the lesson we learned from them is that the they they once they had a certain amount of capability on the platform, and the iPhone took off. As a, as a development platform, they decided that uh, they didn't want to be contract developers anymore. They decided they wanted to get rich writing iPhone apps. <laughs> and right. so they, they decided that uh, we weren't worthy of their time anymore, and, uh, and now they're doing iPhone apps, which, of course, is going nowhere for them. So you, right. in, you introduced them to a market, and they just completely took it, basically. Well, they, I mean, they're they're pretty smart guy. I mean, they're run by a pretty smart guy, and and he was certainly aware of that opportunity. But uh, they certainly lost interest in the Nambu project once they once they felt they could make ten percent more on an iPhone app. How are you going to move forward with with uh, continued? Wait, 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 wait. Just let, let me just follow up on that real quick. Let me just sure, uh, sure. One thing. So, okay, so they said, hey, we're out. We're not interested. I mean, you'd think that they would want to continue contracting with you, even maybe reducing the amount of time that they can put into it while they build their own. Well, you would, you would think so, but the, uh, that, that wasn't the case at all. I mean, I mean just out would, of pride. That, that's what a reasonable business person would do. They would hedge, right? So they would contract with us and then keep us in the loop on what projects they were working on. So give us some reassurance that it wasn't in conflict. And then, right. you know, take our revenue and reinvest that into their own operation. You would, I mean, that's what you would think they would do. But, uh, but they just know. said, hey, there's, there's gold in our hills, and we're going to go build some iPhone apps and get rich in a, two months. And Basically, later. that was very I think they'd put maybe two of their guys, you know, leave two of their guys on Nambu and then maybe try and find some other guys, hire them in to keep on developing. But what, you ended, what you ended up having, unfortunately, was this competition with them. So they, you know, they were sort of interested in that plan, but they had some pretty outrageous and, you know, 
juvenile expectations of what we would commit to. And then what would happen is they would poach all the best developers in our team for themselves and like leave us the, the juniors, right? So that, that's what, that was their great idea. So, How did you find them in the first place? Uh, we knew of them. Like my my co-founder partner had done some work, some contract work with them before, and and so we felt pretty comfortable that uh, they were trustworthy, good look, you know, trustworthy, reliable individuals. So previously, before before this happened, your outsourcing experience wasn't bad because a lot of people talk about bad outsourcing experiences, especially you know abroad. But it sounds like you didn't have that in the first place. It sounds like not initially. Been... No, I mean we we had there were some quality control problems. Um, you know, the Chinese developers certainly have unique challenges that. Uh, you may not initially consider, such as the fact that they can't read English. So if they can't read English, it's pretty hard to go onto Google and get past the block that you may have on a particular technical problem. Right. And uh, so how long did you have them on the project? Uh, they were on the project. They were contracted for one year, so we, we satisfied that contract. Oh, and then after, and then it came to the end of the contract? And then, and then now we're in the problem where we're transitioning to a to another group. We have uh, only two developers working on it currently, which is slowing things down somewhat. Do you think that um, retrospectively, like one really good Mac developer could have could have created Nambu rather than a team of five people in China? Yeah, and that's always the trade-off, right? So if you have someone like, uh, I forget his name now, but the individual behind uh, Tweety is a good example of that. If you have a rock star sort of UI, sort of OS X developer, Versus a small team, it's always going to be who can who can do better. And I think initially, uh, he will always succeed, right? So he will jump ahead as Tweedy had done. But over the long run, uh, if, if you can, you know, if you get some traction and you can justify expanding the team beyond even five, a single individual will have a hard time competing with that. Yeah, because I, I mean, I know the software development doesn't grow exponentially the speed doesn't grow exponentially with the number of people that you throw at it i mean that's the problem no, that yeah. you know internet explorer you know they, they well, it doesn't even grow linearly right yeah exactly yeah it's very interesting but once you have a certain code base in, in place and you, you have a certain amount of uh, you get over some learning curves and the team is on the same page with that you can start to uh, you know get some relatively some good speed going that an indiv a certain specific individual can't right so if you have, you know, say five developers working on a project, you can put two on Facebook and two on FriendFeed and one on maybe t Twitter search revisions or something like that, which, and then you, be, you know, in theory, be able to move a lot faster than an individual over the longer term. Well, what about, what's the speed of development? Um, or, and actually, uh, I'm actually, this, not only the speed, but what would be the cost difference between, say, five developers in China versus one, you know, top-notch developer here in the U.S.? Not as cheap as you might think. I mean, the... Uh, there, it's probably fifty percent for anybody that you would actually want to hire. So one one person is is half the price. Yeah. So for five, you're paying, uh, you know, significant two, two and a half times as much as you would have paid. So, you're, so two and a half so, times, yeah, two times, like two and a half times less is what you said. Is you mean? Is you mean right? I'll tell, right, I'll tell right, you, right. The one problem yeah. with hiring a rock star is then you've got the you know the bus factor. Like if he walks out in front of a bus. And dies, well, I mean, then you're kind even of screwed. Less than that, who's to say you can even hire someone like that? I see, yeah, I suppose so. Finding them in the first place is the tough thing. Yeah, yeah. I've, the people Far I've known in the in actually, you know, once you find them, you can certainly try, but it's it's even getting access to them. I mean, it's it's not it's usually not possible. Yeah, people that I know who are in who are always looking to hire people in a variety of industries, and they're, you know, I get emails from you know every few months like, oh, do you know any experts in this area and that? I'm like, no, <laughs> sorry, they're 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 
already doing something or and they're already getting paid a lot of money or whatever. I mean, yeah, it's hard to find those kind of people. They're right. So I, I see what you mean. So now, what about yourself? I mean, in your in your development, uh, you know, expertise, were you able? Did you consider just building it yourself, or is that not really your your thing? I'm not a not an OS 10 developer, so I, I, no no real ambitions to become a a day to day OS 10 developer. But you so I mean you program in other languages so was it, I mean it's not like you couldn't like pick up um Objective C and Xcode and start cranking away. I used away. to program I used to develop C plus plus about ten years ago, but it's been so long since I've had to to do anything along those lines that to go back there after having spent five years in interpreted languages like Ruby or something like that would be pretty painful. Yeah, I can. I can tell you, I was I was experimenting with Objective C for uh, I, I mean I just spent like a couple of weeks kind of messing around with it and. Um, you know, Objective C is is really a strange syntax when you're used to, say, C plus plus. You know, Java .NET, even JavaScript. You know, you have this. It's it's really kind of bizarre. I mean, I I really wasn't crazy about it. I mean, I know a lot of people who who seem to really love it who are OS ten people. But if you're not coming from the background of using it, it is just really bizarre. Um, and uh, but you know, with that said, I guess you know, I guess it is. Sometimes you just it's just like you're right. You, once you've been in one world, it's just going to learn a whole new platform of languages. Just sometimes, just Jason. Can I just ask some questions about uh, Nambu and Trim? Yeah. Um, I'd love to get into the, the whole Trim thing, but firstly, is has Trim been more successful than than the the client in its own right? I mean, I guess you have to define success a little bit. I mean, they it's been more successful in the sense that it's a more complete product uh, for what it is than Nambu has become to right. date. And so, you know, the, the, Nambu's had some some crashing problems and some quality control problems that related to uh, the Chinese development. And so, we're still clearing through those. So, Trim hasn't had any of those any of those problems. But it's also for what it is as well. I mean, it it is at least arguably the the best URL shortener for a novice user that's out there. Okay, so let's get into the the whole ugly Trim discussion. So, so what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, along with the transition of the NAMBU development, you know, Trim became somewhat of a distraction in trying to get that larger product back on track. And so the the, the impetus for, for creating and having Trim in the, in the fold has kind of gone away because there's a lot, there's a lot, you know, Bitly's out there now and there's a lot of URL shorteners that, are, that have decent APIs that you can integrate with. Right. And so, you know, we're trying to, I'm spending a lot of my time operating and scaling Trim. Um, Did you make Trim? Yeah, so I, I, my background in the last five years has been all Ruby on Rails, and so there was a certain call within Nambu to develop and run a network-based system that'll support the OS X client, and Trim was just one component of that. So that's also been in development the entire time. And Trim, increasingly, as it got bigger and bigger, and uh, more and more users and more and more traffic, ended up spending a disproportionate amount of time maintaining and scaling that system. Okay, and because right now Trim is getting, you know, Trim. Well, I have to wait and see now what the traffic will be. But as of last week, Trim was spiking to five million uh, requests into the network per day. So what? How? What kind of uh, uh, hardware did you have to uh, pay for for that? Or did it? Did you have? Did it require? Well, we moved it over to about three, four months ago. We moved it over to Rackspace with a couple of uh, dedicated quad cores and uh, that run the MySQL database and then put some some cloud servers in front of them. Did you have a look so that, at the Rackspace uh, cloud cloud offering, the the Mosso? Yeah, that's what it's on right now. It's on the the Mosso cloud, which has just been renamed to Rackspace Cloud. That's okay. what it's on. 
Huh. Right. I've been using that recently for a project I'm on, and that's pretty. It seems pretty fast. I mean, they had some crashing. They their their whole cloud site service was had some problems in the middle of July. It was going down for half, you know, for in and out throughout the day. But other than that, I haven't seen any problems. Yeah, really we weren't happen. affected by that outage, but I know that that certainly happened to some people. Now, but you said you had two de two dedicated servers in additional to the cloud. That's right. No. Okay. Now, why why weren't you able to just use the cloud by itself? Well, the cloud servers couldn't get enough. We couldn't get a cloud server that had enough memory. So we were on SliceHost at the time, and the largest slice you can get on there is a 16 gigabyte, 16, I think, yeah, 16 gigabyte slice. Mm -hmm. Or was it eight? I can't remember. I haven't been on SliceHost for a while. And so that was just wasn't enough memory to, to run the, the, the MySQL database that we were dealing with. So we just we wanted to expand the memory to increase the cache capability. Okay, so you're putting the cache in RAM, basically. So that's the reason. Yeah, so we have a 32 gigabyte quad core that's uh, that's running the main database right now. So that's why the trims redirect real nice and fast. Yeah, most of the time. I mean, there is there is some issues with uh, trying to scale that. I mean, there aren't many websites that are dealing with uh, with five million inserts to the database per day as as it's currently architected. Oh, five million inserts. Because the way the statistics are tracked uh, at the moment, I mean, we'll probably have to re-architect now that Trim has to stay alive. But uh, we will, uh, at the moment, when a redirect comes through for your Trim record, we want to save a record of that redirect and all the statistics associated with that. So we can present the statistics based on that URL for you. That's interesting. Have you, have you uh, considered or thought about something like um, Cassandra? Uh, what's, what's the name for that type of database, Jason? I've forgotten the name. Uh, what do you mean? Is it a distributed database? Yeah, yeah, the key hash thing. Yeah, the, the the hash. Sorry, yeah, hash hash databases, something like SimpleDB or that type of thing. Yeah, I mean they've been getting a lot of hype recently, and I, you know, when Trim was originally architected, those things weren't weren't really on the radar. Okay. And so we've been trying to just keep the original architecture in place as long as possible. Okay, so then, um, so you you basically made made the decision to uh, close down Trim, and uh, I mean what. Essentially, what what was your main thinking about uh, closing that down and then making a public announcement about it? Yeah, I mean, the, the process definitely lost control of that process. Um, so last week, um, sort of came to the conclusion that that uh, selected people that we'd approached just didn't perceive any value in it, didn't want to buy it. So about two months ago, came to the conclusion that this is becoming a, a distraction based upon the difficulties we're having executing on uh, on NAMBA, which we still wanted to execute on. So if we're going to, you know, try to remove some of these distractions based upon how popular they've become, we sort of said, okay, well, who can we who can we transition this product to, and someone can can work on it and, and continue to scale it. And and since Bitly has been handed, you know, ninety percent market share, Trim needs to be migrated in, in some, into something else. No, I know. Take I know that... Well, we're not we're not going to do that. So we weren't going to do that at the time. So we wanted to we wanted to try and sell it to someone who would. Okay, but um, like the the key point being sale, because for example, I know that Bitly sort of offered you the the possibility of keeping Trim up and running, and they'll sort of continue doing the redirects, any any existing redirects. It, yeah, I mean their their basic plan was to get a list of the Trim URLs and the destination URLs for them, and upload them into their into, into some sort of database that they've built on this on this project, and then. We hand them the trim the tr.im domain name, and then they will just redirect every request. So all the you know they didn't care about the code or the or any of the statistics that are offered on it or any potential to migrate it in a different direction. 
at least you would at least you you would have achieved the fact that it would then no longer be a distraction for you and you would have kept all of your customers that's true i mean happy. we would have i would not have become poster child for link rod on the internet yeah and then and that would have, that would have been one option um but uh, it's not really in my dna to hand my and my competitor and my product for free <laughs> yeah i mean that that's understandable i mean i could say especially when you feel like it was there's a certain amount of unfairness to how things went about. Now, let me ask you a question about that. So, so apparently the people at Bitly have some relationship with Twitter. Did you have any insight into that, or did you just like you? I, I really, I really don't have any, any insight other than than what uh, what everybody else sort of seems to be as common knowledge that that they uh, they have some some sort of agreement, and it's pretty obvious. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to figure that out. So, if when you know, there's either. When Twitter made them the default, I mean, it was pretty obvious that uh, that something had been cooked in advance, right? Because you know, once they were made the default, you can just back out the arrangement pretty easily. That they, got, you, they, got, you, they got the investment. Of, you know, no one's going to invest in the URL shortener unless that deal was already cooked. Right? Now, I'm, I'm, I, as I've mentioned on the show a few times, I don't, I only use Twitter just a, very rarely. Um, so the question is, how, when you say they're the default uh, URL shortener, how does that work? What do you mean the default? Well, if I if I'm on Twitter.com and I cut and paste the link from another browser tab into that into that text area on Twitter.com, which is what the vast majority of users do, then you click submit on that. That will get converted to a Bitly link for you automatically. So it'll okay. fit with so it'll fit within the 140 character limitation. Right. That so there, there is no there's no way to change that or do anything about that. That's just what Twitter will do. And then if you submit a link through the API. Uh, that is over a certain certain length, they will change that to a Bitly link. So one of the things that got me very, very pissed off uh, about three months ago or something, two months ago, something like that, was I submitted a link, a trim link to a blog article that was tr.im slash blog slash article title. And it was over the certain length, and they switched that to a Bitly link and posted it to my trim URL's Twitter account. Uh. Right. And I could, so I could see that, how that, that would was, be annoying. That was outrageous, right? It was wasn't it wasn't anywhere near the 140 character limitation. And so this is what Twitter is doing, and this is what uh, you know. How can you, and so basically, I became, I instantly became a laughing stock to uh, anybody who follows that account, right? How how no? If they if Twitter could have done it differently, or they could do it differently, what would you perceive as a fair way to do that? Because I can understand why they would want to automatically convert links to make it easier. Because I know well, they have a little to, bit that I because yeah, because in some they don't have to convert it if it's underneath the 140 character limitation. Right, right. But if it's longer than 140, because I know a little bit that I have used Twitter, um, you know, it's, it's it's just a pain in the butt to have to go to another service, paste, create your short length, then paste it back in. That's just annoying. So I can see why that they automatically do that. Now, if they were to do it, uh, sort of um, not select, not by selecting, hey, this is our, this is the service we use. Would it just sort of randomly select between, you know, any of a half dozen registered URL shorteners, and it would just randomly use one? No, like I, would, around? I wouldn't recommend that. I, I certainly see where Twitter is coming from. I mean, there there is an issue with the amount of volume that they're pushing now. So let's say, for example, that uh, the Shaq or I guess Shaquille O'Neal is, is his proper name. Shaquille O'Neal or Ashton Kutcher posts a a link to an article in their Twitter stream. There aren't going to be many URL shorteners that are going to be able to handle a spike to potential spike to fifty thousand hits within two minutes or three right. minutes. And so there's there's a certain amount of architecture and scalability for the spikes that needs to be created. And that's the that's the crossroads that Trim is at, right? So if if Trim's going to be carried any further, it needs to be able to handle spikes 
up not just to 10 million per day, but up to 50,000 within a few minutes. Otherwise, you can't handle some of the larger accounts that are on Twitter. Right. So what would you then perceive as sort of like a, a, a fair yeah, thing? You can't just throw in, you know, a selection of URL shorteners or something like that. Right. So what, what would you what would you what, what would you think would be they should do or should have done? Or is there any or is there anything other than not uh, replacing uh, URLs if the whole of the entire length is less than 140 characters? That would be I mean, it would be nice if they didn't do that, first of all. Right. Uh, change just arbitrarily change links that don't need to be changed. And then, on right. the other hand, it would be nice to offer users choice. So, you know, Ashton Kutcher is probably not going to use Trim, right? Right. And so, it would be nice to at least have had, you know, or have the opportunity to be on there. And then you can justify the investment and prepare for it. Or if Twitter says, okay, you know, you need to meet certain thresholds, you have 30 days, you're going to be on there, get ready. Then you can justify right. moving forward on something. Couldn't, couldn't, I mean, that could almost be like a counterattack by Twitter. I mean, let's say, for example, they now turn around and said, okay, we're going to put Bitly and Trim in the settings. So you then said, you know, in the user profile settings area. So you said, oh, look, now, you know, now Twitter have put Trim there. And all of a sudden you then break out the cost and put loads of investment into Trim. And then, you know, no one actually uses it because very few people go into the settings and change their URL shortener. Why should they? Yeah, but, but enough would. I mean, enough wood. Right? And so enough wood to make it viable for you, yeah? Yeah, I think so. And then it's up to us to innovate and compare, right? Innovate and, and add features that would draw people in, try to be, you know, actually push Bitly and Bitly would push us. Right now, there's really not much incentive to, to try and push them because, I mean, they are, you know, at the moment we're roughly the same. They have some, some more technology because they've been, been just, can justify investing in creating it. But it's not like we're so not capable of creating it. You know, so this is this is kind of similar to the whole a, uh, Apple AT and T, right? You know, you can only well, use similar one. Similar to like Intel AMD kind of situation, right? So right. And it, it, Intel will win every day of the week because they they've got ninety percent market share, so they can and they can have an R and D budget of, of billions of dollars, where AMD just can, simply can't have that R and D budget. And right. so at some point, AMD can't compete no matter what it does. And then we're facing right. the same, you're not facing the same situation today, but that's what we're facing over the long run. There's just simply no way to justify the investment uh, required to compete with them simply because of the position that they've been handed. So, you know, t Twitter Twitter's made them the default uh, based upon some, some inside agreement. Why would, they, why would they do that if they didn't have some sort of arrangement with them to either buy it or... You know, or get some sort of equity stake in it, right? They can't openly buy it because they'll they'll openly start cannibalizing their own ecosystem. So they have right. to have so some sort of public arms length arrangement. But overall, I mean, obviously there's something in place, right? Wait, why can't they? Why can't they buy it? I don't I don't quite understand. Well, if, why you would... Know, how would you, I mean, then they'll then they'll be open to questions like, okay, well, which which photo sharing service are you going to buy? Which Twitter client are you going to buy? Well, Google's in the same position, and it regularly does it. I mean, Google is, you know, Google's only supposed to be a search engine. It's not supposed to be creating content. You know, it's about search. It's not about content. But, you know, as time's gone by, they've just bought, purchased more and more content services. And, you know... Which, what ecosystem are they threatening by doing that? Well, they're basically threatening their own. I mean, they're like, like, people should, you know... I mean, Google is supposed to be the arbiter of, of uh, giving you relevant results. But if they are, if they also own the content, they're obviously going to promote their own content higher than other people's. So therefore, they're they're screwing up the their own ecosystem. If that what are, what are some examples of that, Justin? Well, Knoll um, is is a place where you can add add knowledge. 
Uh, obviously right. YouTube, you know, because they own they own YouTube, so they bring YouTube right. YouTube video up higher. So, right, know, right. That's not exactly fair, is it? I mean, you know, what? Who's to say that YouTube's videos are better than videos on another site? I see. Well, Microsoft did a lot of that too, right? I mean, they they continue like people will build add-ons or extensions to some of Microsoft products, and Microsoft will periodically buy those, you know, sort of missing feature-like products. I mean, I'm just wondering. Um, I'm just trying to think this through. So, if if Twitter bought Bitly, for instance, I mean, what? I mean, that's almost just. Did Jill Spolsky just write an article about that? Like, you know, when you build a missing feature of a larger product or of a platform, and it's kind of like picking up, uh, you know, nickels in front of a steamroller. Yeah, it's like you're riding the bull, basically. Yeah, it's always dangerous to do that because, but I think, I think the one thing I think Jill Spolsky was talking a lot about is that. As the steamroller, you don't want to do too much of that because if you do, if you're constantly buying up your competitors, then what Eric is suggesting is that you just kind of kill the ecosystem. You people don't want to build stuff because if if you either buy them or especially worst case is if you just build your own version and you say, okay, you're out of business. Okay, so um, you know you're saying like you're talking about how uh, you know. the the fact that you're getting kind of um, shut out of the of the Twitter environment, and this is costing you money. I mean, obviously, with you're having a couple dedicated servers and all these things. I mean, it sounds like that's that's going to bleed you, you know, uh, some money every month. And so, if you don't sell it, then it's just sort of like how 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 long can a small company justify just doing this like hey, you know nice guy free service for the web i mean it's not like well, that's basically what it is right now right so i mean at some point you're just like hey this is just you know you can't you can't keep doing it it's just not i honestly get back to the sunday decision i i honestly thought on sunday that there there would be a few bloggers who'd be upset about the, the link rot situation or the potential for link rot situation and there would be a few users that would be disappointed but that by you know, by monday afternoon it would fade Right. I really did, didn't didn't expect the situation to to explode into what it has now exploded into, and right. I mean some people some people are right, I mean, rightfully criticizing the the gracelessness with which that was handled, but that I mean that's certainly will accept that criticism. Um, well, I don't I don't understand what they expect. I mean, you know, there's a lot of companies that all of a sudden they just kind of realize their business model isn't going to work or they're out of money, and at some point you just say, all right, guys, we're we're kind of going to have to put this you know shut this thing down, and you got you know. X amount of time to change over, and to a certain degree, people, you know, I mean, what do they, what do they expect you to? Do? What else can you do? Yeah, I, I guess everything. Everybody's just crazy for Twitter stories right now, and I, I guess I've filled two common threads. One is I, I bitterly, quote unquote, bitterly blamed Twitter for my own failure. <laughs> right. This is, this is what we're saying, I suppose. And then there, and then I'm also became the, you know, this sort of this idea that. I'm creating, you know, massive link rod, and I, I'm the poster child for the evils of URL shorteners. Right. And so there's two pretty good threads there, and if Twitter's in the headline, people will click on it. Right? I suppose one thing that you could have done is, rather than just sort of, you know, make the front page of Trim that the message that it was, you could have done like a gradual shutdown. So basically, on the top of Trim, you know, there was a little note saying, you know, read read this note, we're, you know, and gradually sort of you know, moved up the levels of DEFCON. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what's, I mean, that's just playing games, right? I mean, Eric's just being honest. He's like, this is the story. I mean, why, why pull the Band-Aid off slowly? We're out of money. The business model is going to work. We're, we're, we're being shut out of the game. It's over, you know? Yeah, and that's kind of what's the feeling last week, saying, well, yeah, it's over. You know, it's over. We're being shut out of the game, which is 
you know, not not a complaint. I mean, it, I guess it is a complaint, but it's it's just the a reality. reality. And Twitter's got to do what they got to do. I mean, I, if I was in if I was running Twitter, I probably would do the same stuff. Would do the same stuff. So it's not a personal complaint. It's just the reality of the situation. Okay, so so that was the reason to close. Right. Now, given given the conviction behind the closing, what's what was the reason to reopen? Well, I mean, again, the re- the reason to reopen was because the story had just gone out of control, and so there there was an opportunity to keep the arc going for a couple more days. But beyond beyond that, it, w- it really was people saying like, "Don't shut it down. Somebody will find value in this. Somebody will transition it to something else. Somebody will innovate where you don't care to." So it's kind Please. of prob- it's on probation, right? It's sort of like we'll keep this on probation. We'll see. You need give yourself some time to see what see what develops with the. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, you know, posting on the blog like, "Here's my business idea for trim. I don't get why you're not doing this." It's like I hadn't thought of this. I mean, come on. It's there's it's pretty obvious what you do with it if if you're interested in running a business that makes a thousand dollars a month. Okay, right. so so but you're not because you've had exits in the past that have been a lot more successful than that, and you're interested in in building something bigger. But why don't you just bring someone, you know, like like a student or someone who wants to, who's wants to start you know, wants to do their first business, bring them on, someone who can be really passionate and excited about it, and uh, they can run it. <laughs> okay, so who, who is this person going to be? Who is this person? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like <laughs> a headache gonna, to gonna me, Justin. Right? database that's doing, you know, five to ten million inserts per day. Who, uh, who do you know that, that's, that's got experience? Like 99% of the websites out there are read websites. They deal with massive amounts of traffic, but it's all coming out of memcache. Right. Well, that's the whole point. I mean, the point you bring someone, you bring someone who has uh, done some projects, and uh, you can see that they've got, you know, they've got some very good uh, technical understanding, but that they don't necessarily know how to do what you need them to do, but that they're going to be able to learn that, you know. That's the reason why they're cheap. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You you can find technical people that will do it. But then I and I've got I've got 300 emails in my inbox saying give trim to me. (laughs) <laughs> but it's like, and I'll and I'll be passionate about it. But I've also had people that that are very upfront with me, emailing me saying, "If you will let me hijack all the links, I'll pay you this amount of money." Right, Just spam artists. Right. So basically. Have, yeah, basically spammers. And there's a couple of hijackers in there. They're going to redirect it to a PPC page or something. Everybody's link. And so these are. You know, I can't just hand it off to somebody. They're going to do that, right? And then I'll be up on TechMeme again, saying this guy hijacked a bunch of links, right? Yeah, well, I think from think from Eric's perspective, Justin. I mean, so he obviously has a lot of technical capability and business um, sense, and so he's he's created successful um, tech businesses. So just holding on to something that's all it's going to do is bleed money, or at the very least, just waste a bunch of his energy and time is a distraction, right? So as long as that thing's sitting around and requiring him to think about it and worry about about it, then it's just that 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 much time and effort that could have been focused either on Nambu or some other opportunity, and he's not really getting anything out of it. And there's only so much time and money and, and effort that a small company or an individual can dedicate to something just for, you know, charity's sake. It's not like he's Google or Microsoft or somebody who says, hey, you know, we're a giant company. We can just do all the stuff just because we're, you know, really nice people. I mean, that's like, you know, even if it took up, uh, you know, five hours a week of his time, I mean, that's, you know, probably not fair to ask somebody like. Okay, well, the one the one thing right? is Trim, Trim's now reopened, um, mm-hmm. but, I mean, would you think that users would now be nervous to say, well, 
I probably don't want to use Trim because, you know, we, we, they've already proven that they're going to close down once. And, you know, after this after this feeling of uncertainty of where Trim's going, should I use them again? I mean, what would you say oh, to there's use... There's def definitely lots of users that are posting those kinds of comments, yeah. So what would you say to those users? Okay. <laughs> you know, because like now that now that the the, the growth direct the growth trajectory has been kneecapped, I you know I can postpone some scaling investment. I see. So you can pos you can postpone the scaling, um, and therefore it's less it's less of a cost, and you can be nice guy for a bit longer. You're, you're, I'm dealing. I'm probably spending five hours a week just dealing with spam. Right. So if you put this thing on, uh, you just let this thing. Um, sit and not grow. I mean, how much effort? Well, you, can't, you can't do that because I. Um, you know, if I did that, the spammers would overtake it. Right? The spammers. Well, would... no. I so mean, can you talk us through spam? I don't. I don't get that. What do you mean? People are are coming in using the API and they're creating all these trim links to their spam websites and then they're putting these in emails and sending them around. Right. And, okay. And so I have no way, of, oh, no way of preventing that without shutting off the whole service. So I have to fight back on a per link per domain name basis. So if wow. someone does that, and then they can no longer shorten that domain name with trim any longer, but then they just create, you know, they, the TLD actually, not just subdomains as well. I don't they understand cannot, why that's a problem for you. What difference does that make to you? Well, I have to go back and proactively shut all these links off. Why? Well, what do you mean why? Otherwise, they'll keep working, and then I'll. But I mean, I'll, so I mean, what? I, I mean, I mean, so I, what if those links I'll, work? Well, I've been threatened by Rackspace multiple times to to break to cut me off because there's all these people reporting Trim as a spammer. Ah, okay. So basically, because they're sending out and, and the if emails, Rackspace doesn't see these links break. They're gonna they're gonna cut me off. Okay. So my question though is though, okay, how much time w would you have to spend if you're like you're not going to invest any more time in innovation or pushing it from a business side, but just let it run and keeping the spam in check? How many how many hours a week would that be of work? You think? Well, I mean, it depends. Then, do I do I ignore all the support emails? There's probably an hour a day in emails coming in. Right. So, so let's say you you're just, you're just destroying you're just destroying the whole thing if you're not responding to support emails. You're not handing out API keys which people want. You're not so, doing all these not fighting off spammers. You know, you're not you know fixing the odd technical problem that comes up here or there. I mean, you're so just, you're, you're, what's the point of running it at all? So you yeah right right so so even to be to to, to re respond to support emails to deal with the spam to deal with any you know server or hardware problems um, just to keep the things growing but but just by directing most of your energy towards something else you're probably talking two to three hours a day, right? It's working. I mean, it's averaging around that. If you want to have any, if you want to maintain the goodwill that's that what that did exist before the shutdown, if you wanted to maintain that and, and you know have a good brand reputation and have your your percent market share or your two percent market share that's what it took for that thing yeah so that doesn't i mean that doesn't scale right yeah i agree with you i mean that doesn't work you either have well, to sell it, it it's, or it's pointless yeah and, and so it's it's truly it's truly pointless to to try and do that and so then people are saying we'll put out a tip jar okay so i put out a tip jar and i get two percent three percent follow through on a tip jar so right. i'm gonna make what thousand dollars two thousand dollars <laughs> if that and so how much, how much time would it take me to code the tip jar? Yeah. And so, I mean, the whole, and then people were saying, well, you can make money of this or you can make money of that. Like I hadn't thought of these business plans, right? <laughs> and so there's like, there's three, yeah. there's three ways to make money on the internet. It's very well known. You, you charge users, you charge advertisers, or you sell the data. There's, there's only three and you pick one of them and Trim doesn't do any of them. Right. Because I've, I don't have enough page views to generate any 
interesting amount of advertising revenue. So I'm going to put up ads, make no money, and aggravate users. What's the point of doing that? The but, data is not worthless, as I explained. It's data that's not worth very much, in my opinion, based upon what I put up on the blog. Right. That everybody has this data. We're getting, we have all these bots that are scanning the database constantly, right? And then they're taking the data and using it for their own purposes, which is fine. And then, uh, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to write a tweet meme. I got, that's ridiculous. I don't want to do that. So I don't want to do what Bitly is claiming they're working on, which I think is a cover story. But anyway, I don't want to do that. And then what am I going to charge users? Okay, well, so I charge users for what? Bitly is offering every single feature that I have for free. So what am I, so in order to charge a freemium model, I have to develop more stuff, which then Bitly has the scale and the investment to offer for free. Actually, actually, now that, now that you've, you've talked this argument through, um, I have an idea that, that personally I think could be interesting. I don't know whether you will, but actually why the hell not charge users? Because I'll tell you what, that gets rid of the scam problem, the spam problem. So if you charged users, let's say, I mean, for example, I would be happy to pay, you know, a couple of bucks a month or whatever to use Trim. I mean, because we use it on, you know, we use it on texting. Um, but if the good thing about that is, is that, you know, maybe you've got a thousand or two thousand users paying you a couple of bucks a month. And none of those people are going to be spammers because spammers aren't going to pay money. Yeah, there's a transition problem there because of the API that we created. Um, so if it's embedded in TweetDeck, and it's embedded in Seismic, and it's it's embedded in you know it's not, not in Twitter feed anymore. But if it's embedded in these these free services, and they're giving users the option to use their trim accounts, that that's all going to break now, because well, a lot of a lot of people won't you know won't be able won't know about the transition, and they won't come to the site or whatever. So what am I going to do? Am I going to start re rejecting those requests? Am I going to am I gonna break all those clients? Am well, I you're going to close it down anyway, so. You know, it like, but what, what? I, I didn't. I didn't close the API, so there was no disruption to any embedded software. But you will be closing the API one day. I mean, it was it was until the end of two thousand and nine, right? So yeah, which gave which gave uh, how many months for everybody who had embedded Trim to remove it? Yeah, so you just say at the end of two thousand and nine, we're turning it to a paid service. So that's okay. How you deal with so the let's for talk it. that through. So then I'm going to have how much follow through? Probably the same follow through as the tip jar. Two, three, four percent, but without the spam problem, which was with the reason without why you... the spam problem. But then I have paid customers who who then require who, who every single one of them will rightfully expect a response to their support email. Yeah, Justin, I'm in you know very similar. What's the situation. point of making a thousand or two thousand a month from you know unless you're going to add a bunch of other features and stuff that, that you can charge more money for, which requires development, and then you still and then you still have a two or three percent market share. What is the point? Well, okay, you know, just, I want to say too, Justin, you know, I, I'm in a very similar situation with Prezo. So for anybody who hasn't listened to previous podcasts, I mean, Prezo is a web-based, you know, version of, say, PowerPoint. It competes with Google's pre present presentation software and, um, and uh, you know, the same kind of thing, which is that it's, we've been giving away for free. We've spent, you know, a couple years developing it, and then Google came out and gave those away for free. Um, and then we're kind of, and then we, but we kind of ran out of funding before we had an opportunity to uh, really attempt selling it because before we, before we ran, not too long before that is when Google came out, right? And so then the question is, okay, so what do I do now, right? I'm, I'm, I'm consulting, 
And so I could spend time transitioning to a pay system and how long is that going to take me? And then what percentage of my users are actually going to pay when they go use Google for free? You know, whether or not Google's as good, maybe it's probably worse in some ways and better in other ways. And you think, well, how many, how many, how much money can I make on an hourly based consulting versus how much money I'm going to make? And so it's kind of like, well, you know, what I've done is kind of what uh, Eric has done, which is sort of like, you know, actually, I never put an expiration date. I just haven't really done any work on it. I respond to, you know, re support requests and restart the servers and just try and keep keep it running. But at the same time, it bleeds money. I mean, I have to, you know, obviously it costs me a significant chunk of change every month. And um, I don't know. I mean, you start charging and then you get you make, what, $500 a month or $1,000 a month. And and uh, and then it's taking up a lot of your time. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of lost potential revenue. So Eric, I feel you. I mean, I, 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 I definitely, yeah, it's, you know, it's not a great situation. Didn't really plan to end up in this, in this situation. We weren't setting out to run a, a high profile UL shortener. Right. It just sort I mean, of ended up here just by happenstance more than anything. You, you know, and, and trim is a lot bigger than Prezi. You have a lot more users and, you know, I mean, I, you know, I think about like 50 new users sign up a, a, a day kind of thing, you know, and so there's, I don't know, 20, 5,000 or something user accounts or something like that. But even then, there's tons of people who have presentations that they have for work or for school or for their church or for their whatever, you know, nonprofit organization or sometimes their companies. And if I say, hey, this thing's shutting down, and unless I have a really good migration path out of it, everybody's like, what the, you know, you feel really bad. But then it's like, how long do I have to keep doing this? It, it brings up an interesting point about, you know, software as a service. I mean, it's it's kind of scary when you think that this is this is the reality of of the failed business. So how do you know? How can you ever know what independent providers to go with? The only safe thing to do is to go with Google. <laughs> you know. No, you go with something that that as Peldy was said in episode was a five, which he said he really prefers to use services that charge money because he knows they have some. They are at least attempting to have a sustainable business and they're going to stick around. So, you know, it's like. It's like if everybody wants free stuff, which is one of the problems of the web, is everybody wants everything for free, and everybody whines and complains that stuff isn't free, or you know enough people do, and then they get stuff for free, but then the chances are like, hey, this thing's probably going to be around because you know what? Time is money. Somebody's paying for it. So if you're not paying for it, then the company or the developers that have created the software for free, they're paying out of it out of their own uh, out of their own money. So they may not be paying other developers, but they may say, "Hey, I'm foregoing additional consulting money or whatever working on this thing." So they could be losing a ton of money by giving the, everybody a free service. And so you 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 pay nothing, and then eventually know that they're, "Hey, you know, there's a good chance this thing's gonna shut down in three months or a year or two years." To, I mean, to my way of thinking, I think that a, a service like Trim could be used very well with a product like Nambu, if that Nambu product was more focused on uh, internet marketers or, you know, people who are trying to, trying to use Twitter professionally. See, because it's obviously very important to have full statistic tracking about everything you post to Twitter. If you're posting it, you know, if, if you're an internet marketer or whatever, I mean, I guess you've considered that, but you've, you, have you decided, you know, that's no, we not... definitely considered adding a sort of a, a metric measurement system for advertisers on to trim, but the trim brand has been more more appealing generally to the to the individual or the blogger per se than than someone I think would actually pay anything for it. I mean, if Nambu had some features that were, for example, you know, helped companies do brand tracking or whatever. So then a combination of Nambu and Trim, 
for as 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 like something to be aimed at businesses would that be something yeah there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of people concentrating on that particular problem lots of bigger well-funded companies that are doing that so so at this point though you're just kind of in a holding pattern you're just going to kind of see what develops and keep keep it alive for the time being yeah i've got uh, got 200 emails 300 emails ranging from teenagers in kazakhstan to you know some sort of co-op thing or you know individuals saying you know i'll run it if you don't want to kind of thing you think that um, that Trim as a brand has suffered as as a, as a result of this? I mean, oh, do you think... obviously, obviously it suffered. Yeah. So you think we've got bad will now? I don't know how bad it is yet. I mean, uh, I'll have to see what the URL creation rate drops off to. Uh, I don't have but, those stats. I always say something that's like there's nothing says there's not such a thing as bad PR. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, guess I mean, I've had, it... had a couple of people post on the blog and email me saying like I didn't even know Trim existed until it was shutting down. Right. Like, uh, I think we'll yeah. see exactly what happens to it now, right? And, and there are a lot of people that are saying like, "This is why we can't trust the cloud." And, you know, similar things we were touching on a few moments ago. You know, I definitely felt upset when I heard that Trim was shutting down. Obviously, because you know, I was hoping that uh, we could use it at the beginning of uh, every episode of Texting. You know, going up to episode four hundred in like yeah, five I would years. Yeah, that you register, you would use your own domain for the, something like that now. Tech texting slash ABC or something like that. Don't don't use a don't use a shortener. That's out there. Hey, I, mean, um, I guess Bitly's really reliable because Twitter now cannot allow them to fail. Right now they are they are the definition of too big to fail. So unless you, I, I mean, I don't want to beat this horse in the ground. So I'm thinking, unless you have any more questions about the you know the future of Trim or something, I'd like to just ask um, Eric a little bit about some other stuff just to just to kind of get a fuller picture of Eric. I mean, I I feel like. Uh, he sounds like he's done some interesting stuff, an interesting background. We don't have to spend too much time on it because I know we're getting near the end of the end of the line here in time wise. How about but... mail.com? I'd like to hear a little bit about mail.com. That's a pretty good domain. How did you make your money from that? Yeah, mail.com, I was uh, one of many who co-founded that. Uh, started it from the beginning. And uh, we didn't start off as, as mail.com. We we purchased that domain and transitioned the brand the brand to that. But uh, that was that ended up being uh, a pretty typical 2.0 type play where you you scale and you spend lots of money and you acquire users and, and figure it out later, which was an acceptable model at the time. When and was that? That, that? that did very well. That, that ended up going doing an IPO onto Nasdaq in '98, and, and uh, wow. it ended up getting delisted. But uh, it was uh, it was a pretty successful arc anyway. And I was the chief technology officer there, and uh, we scaled up from you know, zero email accounts to about five million when I left. Wow, and the time, is which is a huge number. Where where is it now? What's what happened to it? Well, it ended up trans, you know going through a couple of iterations uh, into trying to do corporate email services, and now it's back to uh, to web based email. As and I it's know. still live. Is it still mail dot com? Yeah, it's still mail com, and they, they they have a bunch of domains that are associated with that. Interesting. No, no. So before, when did you first uh, get into the industry? Where did you know? Did you study computer science in school and just? I dropped you know, what, out of university. I dropped out of a liberal arts program in uh, in ninety two. Where? In, 90, uh, in Vancouver, UBC. University okay. First. And, and you and you jumped out of a liberal arts college. Uh, yeah, uh, we started a co I dropped out of university to co co found an internet uh, an ISP here in Vancouver, and then ended up becoming the largest ISP in Western Canada, and I was the, the chief technology officer there as well. Cool, and, and then, we, and then, and then we ended up We ended up offering, you know, doing dial-up and things like that at the time when absolutely nothing worked. Right. And so when did, how did, what happened after that? How did you transition to 
in the period. Well, then I was then I was headhunted out of uh, out of New York to help start Mail.com. Okay, and then Mail.com and ninety eight, and then how long did you stick around there before you went off to your next thing? A couple of years I was there, and then moved on to to doing an, another company called My Internet, which started in ninety eight, which uh, didn't do very well. So I got caught got caught in the bubble first thing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That started off as a, as a sort of a small business, so a web-based services, which at the time wasn't called SaaS; it was called ASP. Okay. And so that was an application service provider that was that was offering uh, sort of web hosting, email, and domain management to small business. And did you what what are your take-home lessons from that then? Because you said you said it it didn't succeed. It so. didn't do very well. It got caught in the in the bubble bursting, and we couldn't we couldn't raise capital based upon the, based upon what we had. And so we just decided to sell the assets out of that and move on. That was a monetary loss, but uh, we, we sold the assets and wrapped that up a little bit quieter than, than what's happened with True. And, and what, what, what happened after, and what did you do after that? Took a bit of a hiatus. We, I had a, a domain portfolio company that we also started on the side in 95, which ended up uh, becoming a significant operation after uh, Google invented PPC. Uh, and, and PPC? Ended up making- what's pay-per-click advertising oh okay uh, search, right so that ended up being a pretty pretty lucrative model for for that type of business and so I ended up focusing on that for a while and that was a part-time operation as I was on a bit of a hiatus took a break and then that ended up selling last year after a couple of years of working on it a bit more a bit more intensively we sold that last year and then after that you started an Nambu yep started Nambu after that well cool. where where are you uh are you where are you based out of uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh, okay. So you're still up there. You never migrated down to the Bay Area and got involved. Uh, I, in that I don't stuff. really like. I don't really like living in the United States very much. So I, I don't. I prefer to stay in Canada. And... Really? How come? Just out of curious. I say, how come? I don't know. Just, just. I guess I like where I guess I like where I'm from. <laughs> yeah. I what know are you saying? You, you don't like Americans? What are you saying? No, nothing like that. Americans are <laughs> awesome. I lived in New York for two years. America's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, I've moved over here from the UK, and I'm, uh, you know, for me, it's definitely very strange compared to England. Just moved over here like a year ago at this stage. Yeah, we're not sure we like him very much, so we maybe should. <laughs> well, that's him. that's the basic rundown, and so then I ended up sort of at the at the feet of this URL shortener, sort of by accident, and uh, right. So ended up where I am right now. So given given that you know there's there's some some interesting internet publicity for you and for for Trim. I mean, are you interested in uh, launching a career like uh, someone like uh, Jason Calacanis or something like that? <laughs> no, that's not my personality at all. No, I I don't I don't even have a blog, so that's just really not my personality. <laughs> yeah, low profile, try and create stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, there's only a few people who really are of that of really their personalities fit fit that kind of mold, right? I mean, the Jason Calacanis, get out there and make a bunch of noise and have your opinions out all over the web. I mean, some people try, but I don't know. Probably have enough people doing that. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. I know you're, you're obviously uh, pretty busy right now, especially filtering your, uh, or responding to emails, but uh, I appreciate you. At least we appreciate you coming on, taking the time. I appreciate the opportunity for more than a, more than a soundbite interview on the discussion. Fantastic. Thank you very much. All right, so that's it. That's a wrap. We're out.